Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet, where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine to become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. On today's show, our guest is a psychic in Virginia. Her name is Bonnie. Hello, Bonnie, and welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Erin? Pretty good. Tell us how you became a psychic. I was born the way that I am. I didn't really have much choice about that, but this was not my first line of work, you might say. I avoided it for a very long time. I had a normal job as a museum curator at a private museum. When that sort of faded away, I decided I needed to try to do this because it just seemed to be like the right time, the right place. And I've always read for people sort of here and there as they would find me, but I've never really been as public about it as I have been in the last, I don't know, six months or so. Why weren't you public with this? Well, I live in a place that is very small and it's peppered with a lot of um, fundamentalism and they're not very appreciative of this kind of work that I do and so I just don't like to offend people Uh, you know I have a lot of friends from a lot of different religions and backgrounds and so forth and you know it makes it hard to be the person that I am and to do the things that I do with that kind of prejudice here do you understand what I mean I do yeah and do you find that frustrating Extremely. I think about leaving quite a bit, but my friends are here. My support base is here. You know, I love the mountains here because we're very close to the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Alleghenies. You know, this is my home, so it makes it hard to just want to pick up and move somewhere else. And do your friends support what you do? The ones that are like me do, the ones that don't know about it, I think they would be pretty upset. But I don't try to judge them, and I like to think they wouldn't judge me. In working in the museum, were you experiencing physical and spiritual while working in, as a, in the museum? Well, I mean, I've always been on a metaphysical path. It, it couldn't be helped. When I was about, I don't know, 16 or 18, I decided if I didn't get a hold of this gift, I'll use that word lightly, then it was going to get a hold of me. And so I started on a path of meeting as many shamans and people like that, uh, psychic people. I've read a lot of the biographies of some of the more famous psychics, you know, and I found a similarity there. But I mean, I've been on this path most of my life and I just turned 55 this year. And I have to say that the, the changes that have happened since I really started putting my energy into this have been incredible. Sometimes I don't understand it or I'm not even sure I believe it because honestly I'm a skeptic and um, you know it's just a hard path to be on. I'm an artist, I'm a writer, I do other things so this surprises me that I like it as much as I do but it seems to help people especially people that are grieving and who have suffered some serious losses. Uh, it's, It's hard. This is not a game. You're talking to people who've had some serious setbacks in their life and it's serious and it disturbs me greatly when I see others who don't understand really the the magnitude of doing this kind of work. So that does bother me a bit. 
because it's serious you know this is serious you're you're trying to if you're trying to help people then you have to be for at least a, a while in their lives with them and it's hard you know it's not not always easy why are you skeptic of your own work that sounds funny doesn't it well yeah, I think everybody needs a good dose of that because it keeps them honest and it keeps them aware um, that they really aren't in charge of this because you're not. Um, I really think there's a higher power. You can call it God, the universe, your angels, whatever works for you. My friend who was a medicine woman used to call it great spirit, which I like very much. But this is a gift from the universe and you need to treat it with with that kind of respect but you also need to make sure that you are pulling in the best that you can you know energetically and you have to be sure that what you're pulling in is real and you're not contaminating it with yourself and your own thoughts and whatever your biases may be you know everyone has some of those but you know you want to have a dose of that so you can stay humble and so that you can learn and grow and continue to evolve it's when you stop wondering and questioning that you stop evolving and that's not good either do you view yourself as an honest honesty with your gift i believe yeah i try my very best to be as open and as um um, I try to, as a channel, uh, you know, as a medium, to get out of the way. That's the best thing I can do for anyone, is to get out of the way and let uh, the beings or people or angels on the other side say what they wish, you know? When you receive the messages, what do you think of the messages that are coming through you? Generally speaking, I'm in a seriously altered state. And, and even when I'm not in a channeling state, when I'm uh, not completely in a trance state, uh, I am not always aware of what is being said. I do remember the visual aspects of it because I'm a visual person. But I don't always remember. In fact, I ask not to remember the the things that come through it, it, as a form of clairaudience. I would rather not remember those kinds of things. So if you're getting a reading from me, you're really getting me in an altered state and you're, you're really talking pretty much directly to the other side in one format or another. And it depends on how the information comes through. It doesn't come through the same way for every person. It comes through differently. Uh, sometimes I see it. Sometimes I hear it. Sometimes I feel it. If someone's having pain in their neck or their back, I'll feel that. And if I figure out it's not my pain, then, you know, I realize it's their pain. Uh, sometimes a relative will come through for them that wants to deliver a message of some kind or another, or someone's angel will want to come through, or their guide or their guardian, you know. So it just depends on how the information comes through, you know. It just happens. Why don't you want to remember the what happens through the channeling? Well, I'm a person just like you. I have my own issues and I don't want to walk around with other people's stuff. I have enough of my own stuff and so I ask that it get left at the door. So when you get a reading from me, you call me back six months from now and you say, well, do you remember you said, and I won't, I won't have a clue. You'll be lucky if I have a clue five minutes after the reading is over. Sometimes I will for a little bit, but it doesn't usually stay. The information I get about readings comes back from the people that get read for usually. You mentioned the word channeling. Explain a bit about what that is. It's an interesting thing. It's been done for many, probably centuries, you know, it used to um, be called other things. I personally don't really love that word, but it's the most accurate one, I, I think, at this, at this junction. 
understand I did not get to this point like with a snap of a finger. I spent a lot of years meditating very deeply for long periods of time. And I learned to um, move out of my body, uh, at least in part. And by doing so, it allows other beings, I have a few that I work with myself, that move into you and speak. And the ones that work with me, I call them my gatekeepers because they keep out other entities that are not always so nice. They talk to your people and then they speak through me and tell you exactly what it is that you need to hear usually. And they're pretty compassionate beings, I must say. Um, I've never seen them or felt them or heard of them being harsh or rude or those kinds of things. They're usually pretty nice. But sometimes it's scary for some people. So we don't channel for everyone because not everyone can deal with that. But if it's somebody who's on a really... Uh, evolved spiritual path and on a trajectory in that direction then sure we we don't mind doing it but it takes more energy to do that than it does just to read for someone how do you prepare to get into that stage before i see anyone i have a sort of a ritual i do i always take a shower i know that sounds kind of funny but i always take a shower and i i light some candles because i like that there's nothing too spooky or strange about it. I usually light um, religious candles, if you want to know the truth. Then I sometimes will um, spray some of my friends' clearing spray so that the energy is as clean as it can be. And then I will just meditate for a few minutes so I can get myself out of the way. Do you find it hard to get yourself out of the way and come back afterwards? Uh, not at this point. There was early on, certainly. It, it took longer, you know. It was a little bit harder when you're learning anything. You, it takes time. But I've been doing this probably for 40 years now. I think I started in the 80s sometime. And uh, even when I was working and doing normal things as a, a way of making a living and so forth, I would certainly practice meditating. But also I would have people with me who could be the what I call outside gatekeepers to make sure everything went as it was supposed to go. And so I have been very cautious with this. A lot of people are not. They should be. They should be very cautious about it. It's at this point a lot easier for me to do that than it used to be, certainly. And now I kind of just slide in and out. And sometimes recently I've had instances of what I call spontaneous channeling where I'm giving a reading to someone and I know they're not getting it. They're not getting what is being said to them. And so I slide out, they slide in, and uh, then they're not talking to me anymore. And sometimes my helpers, as I like to call them, can get a point across that clearly I'm not able to in the other altered state. That has not happened a lot, but seems to be the wave of the future. And it seems to be a very interesting phenomenon, just the same. It sounds like you're playing spiritual musical chairs there. It feels like it sometimes, but you know, I'm in control of it. It's not like they're walking in any time, any place. It's not true. Uh, you know, they have to have permission. We have rules, you know, they follow the rules. And, and I'm a strict taskmaster. I must say, I want proof. I want proof just like you want proof or anybody else might want proof. And, you know, this is an art. It's not a science. And, you know, I had a woman last winter who just about put me over the edge. Honestly, I thought I'm never going to do this again. But she came to my home and she wanted strange information. And, you know, when a person passes over to the other side, 
it's different for them it's not like when they're in their body and the things that are important to you when you're not in your body are not the same things that are important to you when you are in your body so she came to my door and this beautiful bright being was right next to her and i thought my gosh that must be an angel because she was so bright i really couldn't believe that she had walked to the door with this beautiful being and she came in and she sat down and she was very hostile uh, right from the get-go which of course is rather disturbing if you're really trying to do this type of work and the being finally showed me that in fact she wasn't an angel but she was a, a human being that had just crossed and she showed me that by sort of you know showing me with her arms around this woman and I figured out that they were a couple and that they had not been together at the time of the other person's, the, the being's death. And everything that was told to her that uh, this lovely being showed me, she would not accept as a fact. Like the being showed me beautiful waterfalls. We don't have that kind of waterfall here. We do have some, but they're not like that. So I knew that they couldn't be from here. I figured out it was a very tropical setting, and so it had to be somewhere tropical. That's the problem with imagery is you don't always know if you're interpreting right, which I'd prefer if they just talk to me, but that doesn't always happen. At the end of the, the session, which I let go on for way too long, it went on for about uh, two, maybe three hours, which is outrageous, really, for the amount of energy it took. And finally, the entity that was with this woman gave up. She just gave up. And she wouldn't talk anymore. She quit talking to me. And I, I said to the woman, I said, I'm sorry, but she won't talk to me. She's upset. She's tired. Her energy is fading and she's not going to talk to me now. And what this woman wanted were things like flight numbers and wind dates. And this is not what this woman on the other side was trying to talk to her about. She was trying to tell her in no uncertain terms, I love this trip we took and it meant so much to me and it was one of my favorite memories of us together and i loved it that we did this this and this i mean it was a really it got to me you know it didn't seem to get to her at all uh, but when she left i thought you know i just can't do this <laughs> i can't do this kind of work you know and that's the only time i've ever felt that way when i've been reading for someone because most of the time people get something uh out of what you do for them and what you try to do for them and not just what I try, but what all of the angels try to do for them. You you mentioned that this is an art. How did you perfect uh, the mastery of this art? Just like any art, just like if I were painting or drawing, um, I taught myself, I educated myself. Of course, there's no school in America to go to. I think there are probably some in your side of the world. But uh, here, you teach yourself. You read what you can read. You get your hands on what you can get your hands on. You go to classes if you can do that, which when I was coming up, there really weren't any to speak of. But you find the wise people, the older people who know things that you don't know, and you, and you learn from them as much as you can and then you practice and you practice and you practice just as if you were practicing uh, on a piano or if you were practicing painting or whatever you learn you teach yourself and then you practice that's the best thing you could do and how did you identify you were getting better and better from practice after practice uh, information that came back from other people early on it was a very 
funny incident. Uh, I had a friend that would bring people to me sometimes that needed uh, a reading or whatever, a session. And he was a young man I didn't know. He had been in a terrible uh, truck accident. He had been drinking and he ran his truck into a tree, wrapped his truck around a tree basically. And he was the only person in the accident, but he was terribly afraid that he was gonna lose his driver's license and certainly he was gonna lose his truck because he totaled it. And he was afraid when he went to court that he wouldn't have his driver's license. And if he lost his driver's license, then he would lose his job. So he was totally frightened that this was gonna happen. And so I channeled for him and I didn't know what was said. And when he came back some months later, he said, you won't believe what happened. And he proceeded to tell me what was said in the reading, which was this. He said he was told that the paperwork would be misplaced and he would keep his driver's license, but that he must, as much as he can, look at himself and change his life for the better. And I think they were politely trying to tell him he probably should stop drinking. They never say straight up that you should or shouldn't do this, but he went to court The cop did not show up, so there was no witness, and the paperwork could not be found, and they just closed the case. There was no trial over the case because all of the paperwork had disappeared. Now, I just found that really interesting that that's what they told him would happen, and that's pretty much exactly what happened. So that's proof, you know, subjective proof, though it may be, it's still proof, and that's what I like to hear about from people. Uh, It gets harder when you read for someone who's lost their child. I've done that several times in this past year, and that is very uh, disheartening sometimes. It's very hard, both for the person that lost the child and and for the reader, because you're feeling what they feel, and it's it's tough, you know. It's very tough. Is there any way you deal with the emotion high or low from client to clients? Well, for me, it's all energetic, and I try not to read too many people in a day because I know that it's going to take a bit of a toll. But if I take care of myself and I, you know, take the appropriate precautions and shower and, you know, clean out my field and my space, sometimes actually reading for me is a good thing because I get energy from that at times. Uh, depending on what happens during the course of it. I had two channeled readings the last two weeks, which is unusual. I don't usually do that many that soon. But um, from Friday to Friday, I had first a woman and then a woman and that same woman came back with her husband. And uh, they were rather long readings, but I didn't feel any ill effects from it. I actually felt really good when they left. And so, um, but I have to be careful that I don't get too tired and I want to help people. So, you know, it's hard for me to say no when somebody really needs help. It really is hard for me to do that. What is your own opinion of psychic and mediumship? My own opinion? That's a good question. It's the phenomenon of this, which is different than the spiritual aspect of it, but the phenomenal aspect of it, the fact you can reach across time and space and see people that have passed or see a person's past lives or see divine entities. You know, one day I was reading for an angel card reader, which is very interesting to read for somebody else who reads for angel, you know, has a connection with angels because this room that I'm in right now is full of angels, big angels, small angels, little angels. And then 
all of a sudden, about three quarters of the way through, the Archangel Michael just kind of slid through my door here and came skidding to a stop, angel wings and everything. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I was doing something else. I didn't realize you were here. So he came to talk to her and it was really funny to me that he came in like that, it was so funny. So when funny things like that happen, which don't happen very often, it, it is a bit amusing in a way, but I also uh, do some radio on spiritual uh, talk radio, uh, Journey into the Light with Michael Long. I do that, and I do production behind the scenes quite often, so I'm hearing all of the different people he has as guests, and sometimes I just know that some guests are better than other guests. And it bothers me a lot with this particular field of work, which is one reason I did not want to do this. It's it's not always got uh, really legitimate people doing it. There are a lot of people who want to do it. There are a lot of people who hope they can do it. Now, some people are very good. Don't get me wrong. I've had many readings by many really great people because it's just somebody who's interested in the phenomenon i like to go to readers too it's it's can be really interesting my friend uh, mary duty who passed away was the medicine woman for her tribe and she said she was a card reader but she was not a card reader she was really channeling all the time and she, the first time i walked in her door she looked at me and she said oh you're just like me and i said what do you mean she said you know what i mean and it was true we had a lot of similarities uh, and she knew that i could read people she knew that and even though she always sat with a deck of cards in her hand i can tell you she really wasn't using cards she was pulling that information from someplace else and she was probably the first conscious channel I've ever seen she remembered things after it was done and so it depends on the quality of the person doing the reading as to if you are really with someone who is legitimate sometimes you know you're not meant to read for a person you know sometimes you're not the one that's supposed to read for that person and that's hard to distinguish as well but for me i think it's an interesting phenomenon it makes me know that we don't die you know that our souls live on to eternity or at least until something then happens i don't know all the answers to that i don't think any human being can but it sort of helps in the way that we know the age-old questions what happens when you die i think one thing i can say is we don't die and that is a big deal and it makes you a little bit more comfortable knowing that when your physical life comes to an end that in fact it's not ending and i feel sorry for people who think you know when you die that's it because i can tell you that's not what happens you know i see people here when i'm reading i, you know, I like to read for people cold you know people i don't know i like that sometimes the people that show up for the people i read for they don't always tell me their names, but I can see them visually. And I can describe that person sometimes. And they'll know, oh yeah, that was Aunt Joe and Uncle so-and-so, you know. I had um, a couple that showed up for this one woman. They looked like a little Italian couple. They were so cute. But she had on an apron, which said to me she liked to cook. And, I, and she actually said to this woman, you don't cook enough. I'm so... I so had hoped that you would cook more because you just eat out of boxes. And so I said that to her as this entity was saying that to me. 
and her friend that was with her laughed and said yes she's the queen of the microwave dinner you know things like that it was kind of funny and then the man that came with that woman uh, they turned out to be her great aunt and uncle but the man that came with her was very into cars and he was upset with her that she hadn't gotten her oil changed and that one car had a leak and she was like oh my gosh we do have a car like that we don't use it it hasn't had the oil changed in forever it does have a leak and I said well he'd like you to please go get that fixed (laughs) so things like that happen and you know that it's real because I didn't know this woman I'd never seen her before I have not seen her since I can't even remember her name at this point but it was an interesting reading because that's what happened with her. When you see a, a being, what does it look like? Depends on what it is. If it's a person who has returned, they show up usually the way they were about the time they died. They're not always. Sometimes they show up younger. And they, they will come back as a relative or a friend or a boyfriend or somebody that's passed for that person. When I see angels, I see angels of different sizes. I see archangels. They show up as pretty large. Sort of guardian angels are about people size. And the little cherubs and little other kind of angels are small. And I don't see them very often with everyone. But somebody, say, who reads for angels, you're going to see a lot of different types of them. And then one day I was reading for somebody and this little sort of four foot tall angel showed up and she said, and I didn't know this, and forgive me if ruffles anyone's feathers, but she said she was what she called the birth angel, that she went to people who were giving birth and tried to protect the mom and the baby. And that's what she had done for this woman who nearly died giving birth. And I did not know of a birth angel. I've never heard of a birth angel. I know there's one for death, but I did not know there was one for birth. But that's apparently what she does. And I had never seen her before, and I have not seen her since. So it just depends on who you're reading for and who decides to show up for that reading. Is there a difference of reading someone on the radio or in person? Yeah, when I read for people in person, I ask them not to ask me questions. I talk to them before the reading and I say, just think out your questions. It doesn't matter what they are. Just think them out to the universe, what you really want to know, what your heart wants to know, and don't tell me. And then I will read them completely blind and cold, however you want to say it. I just read them straight and I don't allow them to really ask me questions until we get to an end unless I don't understand something that I'm seeing. Now, when I'm on the radio, I've got like five minutes <laughs> to hurry up and answer the question, right? Uh, so um, I ask them to please, in the essence of time, to go ahead and ask their question. And it's very sad to me in a way that the most frequently asked question is, am I going to get a man? Or, you know, and I like it that people want to have a companion in life. We all do. But sometimes that's not really the best question to ask. The question maybe should be, what do I need to do to improve myself so I find the right person? Because you don't want anybody. You want the right person. And that's something that's hard for people to grasp, you know. How did you get involved reading on the radio? Well, it was kind of a strange thing that happened. In October, on Halloween night, I was bored, kind of out of my mind, and on my Facebook page, because I follow a lot of artists and a lot of metaphysical people and a lot of animal people, I kept getting this post from the radio host named Michael Long. He said, we're on air now, and it's um, so-and-so is the guest. And I'm looking, I'm like, well, I'm only 15 minutes late. I'll just call in. 
because I was really not interested in whatever I was doing at that moment. And so I called in. I'm listening to the show, and all of a sudden, this voice comes on the line and said, so do you want to ask a question? I said, are you talking to me? He said, yeah. I said, well, I hadn't planned on it, but you've picked up the line, and maybe I do have a question, because why would you pick up the line if I didn't wasn't supposed to ask one? I mean, it's kind of circular thinking there. So I decided, yes, I'll ask a question. And the guest that they had on happened to be someone who uh, cleared houses, cleared uh, people you know, that you just can't get rid of, those kind of spirits that don't go away. Well, I happen to have one of those. It's my mother, hard to believe, but true. And I had been trying to get rid of my mother for a long time. Now, that sounds mean. Most people want to know that their parents are still there after they've passed. But really, I did offer my mother in life that I could do as a human being. So I was kind of ready for a new new start there. And, and so um, I told her, and the woman, the guest, and she said, all right, we're going to clear this. And I believe she did. You know, she seemed to be able to take care of that problem for me. And I had asked almost every psychic person I knew to try to do that. And my mother was very stubborn, just much as she was in life. And so I thought that was a really interesting thing to have happened to me on Halloween night. And then a couple of weeks later, I think I called back in. And that night, the guest did not show up, which doesn't happen often but it happens sometimes so I started sending the host messages on Facebook Messenger because that's how we were connected and I was asking him questions and he ended up doing a whole hour show with me asking him questions and then he said would you like to do this like more often and the next thing I knew I was doing it like every show and I really like doing it I think it's great it's really interesting to me I like to listen to the different guests some guests are much better than others. I really do like it. I like that whole venue. And then he offered to have me on as a guest, and I accepted that. And so sometimes I'm on as a guest too. How did your How did your parents view your gifts? My father never knew, but my mother knew and kept quiet about it because she was the same way. It wasn't until we moved into a house that was on land that was haunted by Indians. I kept having these dreams about these Indians on this land. And it was like a family. And they kept showing me what the land looked like without the house there, you know. I would dream about this at night. And then one, I was a teenager. One day I was sitting on the floor crying for some teenager reason. And I felt this hand touch my cheek to wipe my tear away. And I think I might have jumped straight up off the floor because I wasn't expecting that. And there was this little elderly uh, Indian woman in the room with me. And she was trying to make me feel better. And I was like, oh, okay. Whatever I was worried about or crying about went away really fast because this phenomenon had just happened to me. And uh, so finally I said to my mother, a little reluctantly, I might add, "Um, I think this house is haunted. I think the land is haunted. I think there are Indians here. And she said, oh, you've seen them too? And she had seen exactly the same ones I had seen. And one of them was looking in the kitchen window at her. And she basically, being a very calm, brave woman, said, I see you. I acknowledge that you're here and we won't bother you if you don't bother us. And we never had trouble in this house. But other people who moved in after us, well, they had some trouble. But it was always funny to me that she kept that quiet and she never told us that she had that kind of ability. But she told me later, I found out more and more, um, I think, 
what I have is a bit more acute because I worked on it and uh, it seems to run in her side of the family. Her brother Bill used to show up at our house and talk about things that happened to him that were sort of along the same line and uh, so I really believe it runs in her side of the family. Who inspires you? You mean in this particular field? This field and other fields. Oh, well, I would say that I have learned a great deal from our mutual friend, Michael Langevin, and his wife, Sophia. They are very unusual people. They are not from here, so, you know, they don't come with the same kind of attitudes that are normally here with the people that live in this area. So they have been very interesting to me and very inspirational in a lot of ways. And uh, I like to ask them a lot of questions because they know things. You know, they're coming from different kind of cultural backgrounds, so they know things. And people who come from different older cultures really do know things. I have um, met many people in many parts of the world that are very interesting to me. But uh, Michael and Sophia have been very uh, helpful in this particular realm. And I I love art. So there are many artists that are inspiring. You know, Edward Hopper is my favorite American painter. There are, there are so many others and mus- musicians. Uh, I have a, a Russian friend that paints. His name is uh, Alexander Anuvriev, which I have still have trouble saying after all these years. He paints angels and he, the angels are inspired by his wife and cellist, professional cellist, Tanya Anisimova. They've they've been very inspirational people to me. But, you know, I love film, too, and I always love Charlie Chaplin films. They're funny and they're sad, you know. And all the film noir, they've the light in there, the light. You can't have light without having some darkness, and that's what film noir is all about. And, And when I paint, that's what my paintings are like, too. They're about light and darkness. There's some of that in metaphysics, there's some of that in everything in the world. A little bit of light, a little bit of darkness, a little yin, a little yang. What do you paint? I paint surrealistic looking images. Um, Most of the time, they're rooms that have people in them or shadows of people in them where there's an indication that there's something going on in the room, but you're just not quite sure what. Sometimes they have windows with people looking in or, you know, a lot of my paintings really are about light. And um, my favorite one is one of a solid person. You know, you know the person is real, but there is a ghostly image nearby, which, you know, can be either her other self, or it could be some kind of ghostly image or ghostly person. But I always like to think that that's actually a part of herself out of her body. And I didn't know when I painted that, that's what I was really painting, but I know it now. It just took a long time to figure it out. So I guess there's a lot of metaphysical uh, inferences in my work and my painting too. And I like to write. I have articles published sometimes in the Echo World because uh, Michael and Sophia have been kind enough to give me that opportunity. But uh, I've enjoyed being an artistic type person. That's just who I am. You can't run away from who you are. Even if you want to, you can't. Why do you paint with light? Light is, you know, a fundamental thing. It's energetic but we can't survive without it. If you have light, you also have shadow and you have some darkness. So, you know, my paintings are about that. It's about the balance in things and in people and also in, uh, in life, you know, it's about the harmony between things. 
when you paint, do you channel people or do you just paint from the creative mind? Actually, I think I go into a trance state. I didn't realize that for a really long time, but I do. I think I go into an altered state and then they just kind of manifest. It's weird. I would sometimes get a, a full image in my mind completely finished. The hard part for me was actually making it look the way I could see it in my head. But I discovered too that I just, I just, when you paint, it's like meditation. You're going into another place. You just are. And I don't really like to share my paintings with people very much because they f make me feel so exposed, you know, because you're letting people in your head when you paint like that. You know, you're letting them into your, your being. So it's a, it's a very scary process. Uh, it's one of the reasons I think I didn't pursue that, even though I'm perfectly well trained for it. I think it's why I didn't pursue it. You know, I ended up working in an art museum, which was a safe way to still be involved. But as far as my own painting goes, I think I could have probably made a living doing that. But I just, it just made me feel pretty naked, you know, because you're painting from another place that people can't really understand sometimes. Why does it feel naked to present paintings to either friends or other people? Well, in the last few years, I've shown more people. Around here, again, I'm bound to the place that I live, basically. The things that I paint are not warm and fuzzy, you know? They're not kittens, they're not uh, ocean scenes, they're not mountainscapes. They are very intense, surreal paintings. You know, I was trained as a painter, so they're pretty intense things. And I paint the old way with oil paint and glazes. Unless a person is very artistic, they cannot understand them. And they find them somewhat disturbing. I don't know that they're disturbing per se. I don't think that they actually are. But they do disturb some people. So I just don't, don't share them. Like, I have a nice art collection, but I don't have any of my paintings hanging out. Not a single one. Do you regret a painting uh, as an artist? No, I don't regret them. In fact, I think I would like to paint more. But, you know, you have to find a way to survive in the world. And I've had a lot of health issues the last few years. And so I've had to adjust what I do and how I do it. And uh, that's been the first and foremost concern for me, you know. In the art museum, did the paintings talk to you in the artistic way? Oh yes, they did. I worked for a single artist, so it was a private museum. But what I enjoy out of that was creating programs that the public could enjoy. I also enjoyed when I could go out and give lectures to large groups of people for hours at a time sometimes and I could talk about the artist in an art history context which I found very enjoyable but you know I did that for 18 years so I was really ready to to move on and the museum did close down because different reasons after a certain length of time I suppose that some types of painting probably lose their interest with the public you, you can't do the same thing forever and expect it to last forever. It just doesn't work very well most of the time. You have to, like with anything else, with metaphysics or your job or whatever, you have to evolve. You have to continually evolve or you get stuck. And so it's good to move on to new things. And I was certainly ready to do that. Did you get a chance to deal with your fear of presenting paintings? No, I, I still keep my paintings in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> 
I do have some on the wall upstairs. I'm thinking about that now. It's sort of like doing this channeling work, you know? It's just like doing that. It is not easy where I am to do what I do. It is very difficult to do it here. I came to the UK in about 2000. I was either 1999 or 2000. And I had the most wonderful trip because I I remember the plane was landing there in England and I remember thinking, I've come home. Now that's weird because I'd never been to England before, you know? And I think, I've come home. I just feel like I've come home. It was so crazy. And I'm like, but I've never been here before. That's crazy. I remember getting off the plane and I remember um, being picked up at the airport by my English friend there. And he took us on the most remarkable metaphysical tour ever. We got to see Stonehenge and Glastonbury and those kind of places. And then we flew to Scotland and I met my metaphysical friend there and he showed us all kinds of metaphysical physical things and Scottish things there. I did find Edinburgh to be quite haunted. <laughs> Everywhere I walked, I felt like, you know, I was in the middle of some something, you know, there was always this feeling that there were things that had happened there. And uh, they took us up to the castle. And in the castle, I see this little octagon shaped room. It was a little small room off to the side from the where the um, armor things were hanging. Everybody else was looking at the armor. I was looking in this little room. It had a nice window and all this pretty light coming in there. And I, I saw a woman sitting in there. And I couldn't tell if she was reading or doing needlepoint. Because one second it looked like she was reading. And one second she was looked like she was doing needlepoint. And I, I thought, well, she must be a reenactor. Because, you know, here we have um, museums that people dress up in period costumes and they, they act and do the things that they would do as if they were in a particular period of time. I thought, oh, she must be a reenactor sitting here doing this. And I wonder who she's supposed to be. So I turned around to speak to uh, the gentleman I was with and to the guide or the person that we were with. I said, what is this, you know, lady over here? And I turn around and she's gone. <laughs> she was gone. I was like, okay, never mind. But, you know, and I, could, I told my friend, I said, there was a lady in here. This is what she was doing. And then somebody came by and told us that the, I think it was Margaret, Queen Margaret, Princess Margaret, one of the Margarets said that was her favorite room and that's what she liked to do in there. She liked to do needlepoint and she liked to read because the light was so good. I was like, okay, all right. Yeah, that's fine. My point is that there, I felt like I really was someplace that what I do belongs. And I was so thrilled that you are Irish because I feel the same probably where you are, that I would feel at home there. You know, I have some Irish roots too, but I feel like people in your countries understand all of these different phenomenon much better than people here do. I, I really do. You know, I often think about coming back there and just staying if I could, because it does feel a lot more natural to do what I do there than here. And I spent a lot of time reading for people when I was there. And I enjoyed doing that, you know. Where you're situated in America, do you feel isolated by the Bible Belt? Yes, absolutely. And not just isolated, but persecuted in a way that shouldn't happen in America. You know, in America, you should be free to believe what you believe, uh, study it the way you want to study it, and not be um, persecuted for it, which happens here often. And how are you persecuted? Well, for instance, I had a friend that had a shop here in town. 
she had a tiny little sign in the window that said $10 tarot card readings. I mean, it's not even expensive. She just wanted to read for people because she enjoyed it. And the next thing she knew, there was somebody from the city knocking on her door, telling her that if she took one penny for reading for anyone, she owed them a fee. And she had been there three years, so they retroactively fined her $3,000 because she, you know, asked for a $10 tarot reading card fee. And come to find out, we have a park here, which is named after the gypsies that once lived here, probably around 1800 or so. To get the gypsies out of town and out of this place that's now this park, that's what they did. They assigned a fine for anybody who would read for people, as the gypsies did. And that's how they got them out of town, because they charged them to read. To me, that seems wrong. You know, churches are not... uh, find or give any, even any taxes to pay if they have a belief system. Uh, but people like us, we're not appreciated at all. And we're considered sometimes the work of the devil and all these things. But the way I look at it is God made me, you know, and I'm not a mistake because God doesn't make mistakes. That's the way I look at it. And I feel that way about all of the people who are different than what is expected of them. Because we're not, none of us are mistakes. We wouldn't be here if we were. If you could sit down with your your younger self and educate her about do's and don'ts, what would it be? Move. (laughs) Move, 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 move. Be brave and move, you know? It's hard for me to leave the mountains here, I must admit. It's very hard. I've left and come back several times. But um, if I had it to do over again, I would go to some place like New Orleans or California or or even your countries there because, you know, what what I do is acceptable in those places and uh, much better than here. Actually, they probably accept it more in New York City than they do here. And what's so special about the mountains there? I think they're on ley lines, you know, energetic lines. They're also very old. I don't know exactly what it is, but somehow they have a way of calling you back to them. And they're very beautiful. I can't tell you how beautiful Virginia is, but it, it it's pretty here. It has changed a lot over the years. It's truly not as pretty as it used to be because we've had so many people move in, but it's still a very pretty place. If you could share one piece of knowledge from your story, your journey, your experiences, um, what would it be? One piece of knowledge. There is real magic in the world. There are real miracles in the world. If we could just open our minds and accept that that is true, I think many more would occur. And sometimes they do occur and people don't even realize that it it's happened to them, you know? I think that sometimes I experience those things in a way that is important. I can't tell you how many times I've really needed something and it has shown up in a way I never expected it to show up. And that happens a lot. And it's, I have no explanation for that, but it's real. It's real miracle, it's real magic. I had an experience where I was really sick. I had pneumonia a few weeks ago and I couldn't get rid of it. And it was very difficult for me to, to breathe or, you know, function. And I had to go take care of something that required some paperwork. And I had to leave really early. And I remember saying out loud to the universe, look, I can't do this today. I feel terrible and I'm just, give it in just make this easy just make it as easy for me as you can just please take care of it i can't do it today so i went and did what i had to do and not only was it taken care of 
it, it just everything was taken care of in a way I never expected it to be and it was a really unusual experience so real magic happens and call it faith and faith does not mean you have to go to church faith is what's in your heart it's how you treat people it's the compassion you have for other people you know real faith is that it is your love and understanding of others even when you don't want to <laughs> sometimes people make it difficult for us to feel that way about them but you just have to you just have to and you just you just have to have as i tell people often a little bit of faith that it's going to be fine that it's going to work out that no matter how horrible it seems you can still get a miracle and that's what i think is really important Bonnie, I want to say thank you very much for coming onto the show and sharing your story, knowledge, experience, and your art. I'm so uh, happy that you invited me to do that, and uh, maybe I'll get to meet you sometime. I really would like to come to Ireland. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sansit Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.